So, hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with actor, comedy writing legend, Arthur Matthews. So, hi, Arthur. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, thanks for describing me as an actor. As if well, I'm... you know, you, you've done some acting, so you're an actor. I would never think of myself as an actor, but I suppose <laughs> technically I have done some yeah. acting. Yes. Yeah, well, take, take the credit. Technically, yes. So, so usually I like to start off by going back in time and finding out a little bit about people's beginnings. Um, so what was what was young Arthur like? What were you like as a kid growing up in Mead? Well, uh, I was kind of quiet. It was me and my twin sister and my parents. My father was a farmer, but he was quite old. He was born in 1903. So by the time he was in his mid-60s, he thought he was too old to run the farm and I was too young to take it over. So we moved to Rush for a year in County Dublin. And then we moved to County Louth. So he could play, I think, because he could. He wanted to play a lot of golf in Baltray Golf Club. But I think that was one of the reasons we moved there. It's good beside the sea. I was quiet. Uh, I had a few close friends. And then I went, to, I went to boarding school, which I quite enjoyed. Paul said I didn't. Paul Woodfield said I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it was fine. And I was, I go to school reunions and I quite like catching up on people that I knew, you know, 50 years ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was always, I was always very kind of unwilling to just accept, you know, people's opinions. I always question everything. Yeah. And I always found myself just being disagreeing, not, not openly disagreeing with people just feeling that a lot of people had this kind of orthodox way of thinking about things, which I didn't. And I was mm. quite not outwardly rebellious, but inwardly very rebellious. And when I met Paul Woodfull, I kind of thought he was a bit similar in that a lot of things in Ireland, that a lot of people thought were great. We thought were just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we could see how absurd they were and like, why do people like this? And it's, it's just, it's just, I mean, we thought it was very funny. I mean, that was part of it. Like we thought, I mean, we we formed the Joshua Trio together. Yeah. Uh, and that was very much like, why are people, why you two are just too serious. You know? <laughs> let's let's just have fun with them. You know, why do people take them this seriously? Now, to be fair to, to you two, I think probably they have, I'm Bono, probably is more of a sense of humour than we would allow him to have. Or we would admit that he'd have, but at the time they were very serious, you know, the, yeah. the rattling home and all that stuff. We just couldn't. That to me, to Paul and me and Paul was just very funny. Uh, so yeah, so there's a lot of that. But I did. I went to art college, which was um, well again, I, it was a last minute thing. What am I going to hmm. do when I leave school? And like, there was no planning. I never discussed it with my parents. So, oh, I'm good at art. <laughs> <laughs> I missed the deadline for the, the main college. Oh, no. Where Paul actually went subsequently in the college, the National College Art and Design, NCAD. So I ended up in um, the College of Marketing and Design in Parnell Square. And uh, I met Mick Nugent there, who was a, an unusual, <laughs> unusual man. And again, he was like very irreverent. So I kind of hit it off with him. And then I did... Well, I did like when I left, I was in the students union for a year with Mick 
as I think I was an accountant or something. I can <laughs> barely count. I mean, I can bar- I, I actually can't do long division or anything. Yeah, no, like a lot of barely us count. Yeah. For some reason, I think I was the accountant in the students' union. I was Mick was president and I was an accountant. Ridiculous. But anyway, so that brought me up to 1982. And then I just did, I did screen printing courses and wall mural painting courses. And then I got into Hot Press in 1985. Yeah. So, I mean, we always arty. Were you arty as a yeah. kid? Yeah, yeah. I was always painting. The last few years, I've done a lot of painting. And then I, I was doing a course in the RHA, which I really enjoyed. Mm. Before COVID struck, we had to abandon the course and do it from home. There's some brilliant tutors there, like Colin Martin. But actually, I was I did an interview with the Sunday Independent, and they asked me about my painting ability, and I thought, yeah, I'm pretty. I I do think I'm pretty good technically, but I said uh, my quote was that I regarded my painting as drivel, whereas <laughs> in what I'd actually said was derivative. <laughs> It came out as drivel, so I, I'd actually slag myself off for not being very different things for not being <laughs> a good painter. When I actually do think I'm quite a good painter, but I am derivative. It's not like I'm not, you know, I'm not brilliantly original, but I'm technically I'm quite happy with what I do. Yeah. So I mean, do you think like boarding school? I mean, it's it's not for not for everybody. I mean, do you think the whole kind of boarding school life kind of affected affected you for? in later life or did you did you I think generally I felt because because I moved around as a kid yeah and I went to boarding school I felt disconnected and outside yeah. of things and just an outsider I always felt I was an outsider and not part of the common kind of patriotic thing about Ireland yeah um, there's a few there's a few um paradoxes there <laughs> my attitude to Ireland I was never like you know St Patrick's Day to me always just seemed absurd that people would celebrate being Irish <laughs> you might as well celebrate having the head or something you know it didn't make much sense to me that kind of patriotic thing I was a huge fan of the Irish football team for years though yeah. like really yeah. and then that kind of it was strange it kind of wet wore off and there are paradoxes. Like I'm a big fan of my football team, Draw the United, and I don't support like English teams, which is kind of regarded as a bit odd in Ireland. So that's a kind of paradox because you know the others. I've really gone off the Irish team, um, which is an odd thing. I don't know how it happened, but it just did. After being a really passionate supporter, now I don't really care. Yeah. The big Draw the, is my big team, really, and I've got you know I've had great experiences which I wouldn't have had if I was just watching Man United on television. Yeah. Um, Maybe it comes with age. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what comes with age. <laughs> I'm quite happy being being my age, actually. I don't mind being... That's the thing. I think you get to a certain age that you, you just kind of... You're, you're comfortable. You're yeah, like, maybe. I don't know. I'm not saying I'm comfortable. <laughs> well, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't mind... I, I don't mind that... You know that I have a certain amount of time left. You know that that it's not like when you're twenty, you think your whole life's in front of you, or even if you're thirty or forty. But now I feel I'm reaching the kind of the final hurdle. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I know it. It sounds fatalistic, but I actually 
I don't mean I don't mean it to be like that. I'm actually no, quite, no, I know what you mean. You know, it seems to be this less pressure, or you don't have to prove yourself, or um, yeah, I'm 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 quite, you know, I don't look as well as I used to. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm falling apart, but. <laughs> I think we all, we all are. We all are in our own ways. I'm not very happy. <laughs> That's good to know. So, I mean, you're saying you were, you're very arty at school. Like, I'm, I'm intrigued as to where the writing aspect of, do you know what I mean? Obviously, you're kind of, you're known best for being a writer. So how did, yeah. was writing something that you always did? I know oh. you're saying you did painting and stuff, but I mean. I remember the first thing I did creatively, maybe, seriously, was with Mick Nugent. Yeah, um, and we did a we did a thing which I really enjoyed doing. We put we kind of put together this fake Irish Catholic, very religious kind of small magazine, and we got them printed up <laughs> and put them in churches. We put them in the back of churches where you know all these leaflets are. Yeah, yeah. And it was called Majority Ethos, and it was just like ludicrous Catholic stuff and really completely misinterpreting polls and. <laughs> Oh, very pompously calling for the government to take action. So I really enjoyed doing that. And then I did it like at the same time, around the same time when Viz was out. I loved mm. Viz. So I did another magazine with Mick called um, Gack Bag, <laughs> which was like Viz, you know. And then subsequently, uh, I, I sent some of that to Viz and they published some of those articles. So when was that? Probably 83, 84. And then I went again to Hot Press for some reason. I don't know why I started writing humorous. I never, I was never a journalist in Hot Press, but I started mm. humorous little things. Um, so that's, that's yeah, so that's how that happened. Even yeah. when people describe me as a writer, it just doesn't seem, um, I don't see myself as a writer, you know, the way maybe Hilary Mantel sees herself. <laughs> this is like being an actor, do you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not an actor either. Yeah, so I don't, I don't have, I don't see myself, and I was never very ambitious about it either, and I've just tended to drift along in life and not make big decisions about things. Um, so yeah, I drifted into it really, and then I met Graham, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who was more ambitious than I was, and just one thing led to another, you know. I mean, was there a, was there a like obviously a like mindedness between you and Graham? Comedy wise, yeah. Shared yeah. shared humor. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, he was much younger than I was. But yeah, so then I ended up again. I just I left Hot Press and went to London. But I didn't think I'd stay in London for a long time. But uh, yeah, one thing led to another. Yeah. It so did, did, Graham, did Graham go first and then, and then you kind yeah, of yeah, he did, he went, to, went to went uh, to write for Select Rock magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock journalist and film critic. Mm. So, yeah, I just thought I'd go over go for a few months and write sketches. We sent him into Smith and Jones. We did some radio thing as well, which I vaguely remember. And Smith and Jones was great because they were brilliant. And it was just a real thrill to to write sketches and see them on screen. And then we did a sitcom with Talkback, who are Mel and Griff's company mm. called Paris that Alexi Sale was in. And then we started writing for his sketch show. And then we did Father Ted. That was originally kind of mock documentary thing, but then yeah. we said the hat trick, and they said no, turn it into a sitcom. <laughs> That's the thing, though. How do you start? How do you sit and write a sketch? 
Do you know what I mean? Is it is there an art to it? I know it sounds really naive. A sketch is just an idea. Um, it's just an idea. I mean, you know, we, we, we did a sketch show called Big Train, and I remember like let's have a shootout between the Bee Gees and Shaka Khan. <laughs> And then the, you find yourself six months later in some field in Surrey or somewhere. Um, yeah, and I remember the uh, the staring competition. Yeah, know. but well, that was that wasn't our idea. That came from a, um, Graham found this magazine or little book or something in a in a comic shop, and it was the World Stare Out Championships, <laughs> and it was in comic form. So right. it was just drawings of these people staring at each other. And we thought, what brilliant idea! <laughs> great ideas. So we just, we just got someone called Chris Shepard, who's a good bloke, good friend of mine. He animated it, and yeah, yeah, that's you know, I mean, we have these ideas. We were lucky enough that people would actually put make them, you know. So yeah, so we were kind of lucky like that. Yeah. So obviously, we have to talk about Ted. Like I'm a huge, 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 huge fan of uh, Father Ted, obviously. So, I mean, where did the original idea for for Father Ted come from? I know you, you've had a lot of priests throughout your life, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of littered, um, and you you were doing Ted as a character as well at one point. Yeah. So, I mean, how did how did the whole idea for what what was the spark for for Ted? Well, because I was doing well, it was an opera for Paul, um, and it's funny because you had Paul on recently, and it was like you were talking to him. And it was like I was listening, but it was like listening to two people in a room and you're just standing outside eavesdropping. <laughs> really weird experience. And he said that uh, I was when we were in hot press that I'd put little I'd sneak pages in before they went to the printers and put funny stuff in them, which I don't remember doing at all. <laughs> it would have been very unlike me to do that. And I wouldn't have been proud of that kind of stuff, but I must have done it. But anyway, uh, Paul and I formed the Joshua Trio. Yeah where Paul would sing and I would play drums. And we had this character, Father Ted Crilly, who'd come out on stage and say a few words before the, uh, before the band had come on. So, I'd, you know, I'd get just abuse from people. Really. <laughs> I'd never say more than, a bit, do more than a couple of minutes. So that was the character. Uh, and we even had Dougal Maguire as a character who we'd mention. Uh, so they were both there and we were doing, we did this, uh, well, the idea was to do a series of Irish lives where you kind of mock documentary things. Right, right, yeah. were big at the time, but now I really dislike, I think they're vastly overdone. I really dislike the format, despite like, you know, The Office being very good and Spinal Tap, but it's been so overused. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so that was, that was very fashionable at the time. But we gave it the hat trick and they said, but no, um, yeah, no, that's fine. That's good. But that episode is a priest going back uh, to visit all the other priests he'd been with in the seminary about 10 years ago and see yeah. what all happened to them. So that was what that idea was originally. But then Hattrick said, no, just turn it into a sitcom. So we had those two characters, Ted and Dougal. And then we just had the old priest who was based on the character in the original uh mock doc thing and mrs doyle then the housekeeper so yeah so that's how it came about and i kind of knew ardle a bit i knew i knew um dermot a bit uh i knew of i was a big fan of frank's but i never met him so yeah 
that's how they got into it. But Pauline was the only one who came through the cast. Yeah, yeah the hat trick obviously saw something in what you were doing. You know, they kind of had this, I don't know whether they had a grand plan for, for what you were doing. I don't know. You never know when you do sitcoms. I mean, the one we, the one we did, Alexi Sale, wasn't um, a big success. But, you know, I still think if you read the scripts of that and read the scripts of Ted, you wouldn't know which one would be successful and which one wouldn't. I don't mm. know. I don't know what it is. It's casting's a big part of it, I suppose. Yeah. And, but also, even if you know, they have to gel together as well. But I think casting's a huge, a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think like Paris was very, it's extremely underrated. Do you know what I mean? You, you can Thank very much. You, you can watch it now. It. You watch not it now, even, and it's not even see it anywhere. Where again, it's see? it's timeless. Where did you see it? I would say I saw it back in there when it was when it was actually on. You know. <laughs> and you remember. <laughs> because it doesn't exist anymore it's not on it's like almost everything is online yeah i was a big fan of alexi sale as well back in the day yeah, alexi, well, alexi great, was great. Cast, great cast you had like windsor davis i think was on there yeah, and who i loved and uh, a lot of the, the day-to-day people like rebecca front yeah Patrick marble was in it i very yeah. very underrated i think it should have well, uh, good. but it was like uh, i mean it was a thrill to do but it, yeah, I mean, I only have it because I taped it off the television <laughs> on videotapes. It's one of those things, isn't it? I suppose you, you try stuff and you never know, you know, what, what, the, what the public reaction know. is going to be when, it, when it's broadcast. Yeah, yeah. But we had good fun with Alexi because we wrote for his sketch show then as well. And he used to come around to our flat and uh, he laughed easily at jokes, you know. Um, and he, he was pretty, pretty professional. Yeah, yeah. So then that was in Talkback, and that's when they were doing... Uh, we were big fans of Vic and Bob at the time as well. So we'd go and see their... I remember seeing the smell of Reason Mortimer being recorded. We went to one of their recordings. But also Talkback were doing all the day-to-day stuff. So we just wrote... We wrote one sketch for that, I think, because we used to see them around, like Armando Anucci. We'd be around the yeah. office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I heard the radio version of it, the day-to-day... Uh, and I thought it was brilliant. It was just so good. It's one of those things. Because so Vic and Bob were doing their kind of zany, over-the-top, surreal stuff. Yeah, and Amanda yeah. was doing this serious, yeah. pretend, you know, really naturalistically performed stuff. But it was just ridiculous. Like, obviously, the concept of it was ridiculous. But brilliantly performed deadly seriously and improvised a lot of the time. So those two things were going on. And another thing. I think what what kicked off that whole era of comedy, which maybe doesn't get enough credit, is because I've been watching it recently. It's one of one of those old TV um, gold, you know. Oh yeah. TV gold or something like it's not one of those. It's Harry Enfield's television program, which I think is 1990, and that's you know, of course, it's got all kind of warnings all over. <laughs> It said it it's reflects, ridiculous, isn't it? You it know? reflects the standards of the time. <laughs> the standards. It says, I think it says it reflects the standards, attitudes, and language of the time. But like standards, what's that? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, I've been watching that recently, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, very good. And Harry Enfield is great. But I think that was the start of that whole mm. era, which probably went through the 90s and ended I think it's over now I think it ended probably with the last episode of Peep Show but yeah. 
I mean, I don't know, Vic and Bob seem to be, do you know what I mean? They seem to be like a key part of like 99% of the people I talk to will reference yeah. Vic and Bob as a, as, you know, yeah. as, a, as a reference yeah. point. Yeah. But you see, they were also, they got on the cover of NME and stuff. Mm. That you was know, like, they were 90s. Comedy was new rock and roll. Yeah. I mean, because we were into music, Graham and myself were hugely into music. So we got the cover of NME with, with Father Ted. So that was, that was the best thing, really. Um, yeah, it was like, you know, we were into music. Uh, and I still am. I'm still more into music than comedy, really, um, at the moment, certainly. But anyway, so we were in London just at the right time. Yeah. No, I mean, 90, 90s London was, you know, incredible. As you say, like Harry Enfield and all these guys, Vic and Bob. You know, I was a fan from the, from the very start of Big Night Out. It was kind of, it was yeah. one of those things... You know, you watched it and your parents are sitting there going, what are you, what even is this? What are you watching? But it's like, for us, it was like a light bulb going on. Yeah, well, Paul, uh, Paul and myself loved that as well. Paul really loved the show too. Um, so that was, it was, yeah, it's just a big moment for, for everything. Maybe it was the first, the first kind of big shock in comedy or whatever, the big movement in comedy since maybe, you know, uh, kind of the nine o'clock news or something in the mm. early eight. Yeah, the, the young ones and the not the nine o'clock news and all that, and then maybe there was a bit of a gap between that and Harry Enfield and Vic and Bob. But yeah. Harry Enfield, I always think, doesn't get enough credit because he was really at the beginning of that stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, talking about Ted again, <laughs> going back to it. So, did you have a process for for coming up with the storylines? Were just so amazing for each episode. Like, you know, some of the episodes seem to be sort of based loosely on fact. Owen McLove, you'd obviously compare to Daniel O'Donnell, um, Speed 3, and obviously the Speed movies, the Lovely Girls competitions, Rosa Trilly, all that kind of stuff. Was there, was it just a lot of observational stuff and thinking, oh, this could be a good idea for a, yeah, for an episode? Yes. <laughs> In a nutshell. In a nutshell, yeah. And like, there was an episode, which may be my favourite episode of Entertaining Father Stone, with this really boring priest comes to stay with them. Yeah. Well, that happened to friends of mine because they were student teachers. And uh, there, were, uh, there were a couple who, you know, studied student teaching. And uh, they, I think they, they lived together at the time, I think. This was, anyway, they met some other guy in their student teaching class. Student teaching, is that the right word? Student teacher class, I don't know whatever it's called. Like that, yeah. Anyway, they were, they were studying to be teachers. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> teacher this training. guy. Teacher training. <laughs> teacher training. That's what it is. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how teachers are produced. <laughs> it seems reasonable that they would be trained at some point. <laughs> so anyway, they knew this guy in their class who would come and stay with them every summer and they couldn't get rid of him at all. <laughs> And that he just come and stay with them. They couldn't get rid of him. And then one year they said, well, maybe you shouldn't come this year. Why is that? I just don't think we've a lot in common. And he said, we'll find something in common. So they couldn't put him off. And he did actually cheat. And they went and played golf or mini golf. And he did actually cheat on them. I think he, he stood on the ball or something. <laughs> and then they'd go to the pub and he'd never buy a drink. So that was completely inspired by, by that episode. Because no, nothing very much happens in it. And I was like that kind of awkwardness of not being able, you know, the difficulty of speaking to other people. What do you say to them? You know, what do you say to people? And 
and nothing much happens in it. The only twist in it is that they go to play crazy golf and Father Stone gets hit by lightning. So then he's, he's stuck with them forever. <laughs> so it's very simple. Only, you know, it's much simpler than probably any other plot that we did. And um, uh, yeah, it's one of my favourites. Yeah. yeah, I know. Ardle, Ardle admitted recently uh, that he'd stolen the little little painting of him and uh, of yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah, Ted, I, Ted and Father Stone that was yeah, on I, the, I do remember on the getting, <laughs> Yeah, I do remember him getting that at the time. I think. Um, yeah, he, he's saying he robbed it. So, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe he's got a different memory of it than you do. I <laughs> <laughs> wish to portray himself. <laughs> yeah, <a> thief. <laughs> Just stuffed it up his tank top, you know, and, and ran. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, you talked about casting there. I mean, what, what was it about Dermot that made him Ted? I mean, obviously now you couldn't imagine anybody else yeah. doing it. He looked, he looked perfect. I mean, he looked yeah. perfect. Yeah. I knew Dermot a bit, not terribly well. I think I'd send, he did a, a, a radio show called Scrap Saturday. Yeah, yeah which I think I sent a script in. I remember dropping it off to us. He had an office out in Ring's End. But he just looked right. I knew he could do it. And he did it really well. He put on a slight accent, which most people probably wouldn't realise. Yeah, he was just... I liked, you know, I think Dermot was always our favourite character, I think. You know, we always liked him when people said... Because a lot of people said, oh, Dougal or or Jack. I mean, which which are... They're great, you know. But there was just more to that character. And we always liked it when um, when people said he was their favourite character. Yeah, yeah. I think Paul was saying that uh, Dougal kind of was his, was his, was always his, was his favourite. Yeah, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Everyone's got their favourite. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's just more to, there's more to the Ted, Ted character. Like Dougal is a stock, he is a stock, that kind of character who's just misunderstood, sans yeah. everything, and isn't very bright. Yeah. Obviously, like Manuel and Faulty Towers, or, <laughs> or you know, Trigger and Only Fools and Horses, or whatever. They're just kind of dumb. You know, it's easy to write that stuff, really. But with Ted, there was he almost like could have fitted in a, a his character could have fitted into a more serious sitcom or a drama even. And uh, but again, he had that thing which is comedy, common and comedy, of someone having ambitions way beyond what he can ever achieve. And that's so, that's so common, you know, that's a basic thing. Yeah, he was brilliant. When I look at it, I don't look at it much, but I went through a phase of watching it when my daughter decided she'd want to watch it. But yeah, Dermot stands out. I mean, I was very pleased watching it that we managed to, to just tell stories, like have plots, like people aren't great at plots generally, um, but the plots in it are quite good. And I watched uh, Larry, I watched Kirby Enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. Because Larry David was in this toast thing I did with Matt Berry. And also his new series was on around the time when Toast was on. So I uh, I said, I've, I must watch, I haven't watched it in ages. And I watched a hundred episodes of it. Um, and I thought, well, this is just, it's just perfect as, yeah. as regards plotting. Yeah. And just, it's got, it's basically, it's just lots of things happening and conflict. That's what it is. <laughs> no, there's no jokes in it. There's yeah, no one-liner yeah, at all. Yeah. But it's it's setting up situations, and you've got a great central character. So that's you, That's what you want to aspire to. 
but most people are happy enough not much especially now that it's a lot of kind of very low-key comedy mm. no big moments in it no no uh everything's just very low-key yeah yeah i don't know as i said the golden age of comedy is not it's not <laughs> now <laughs> Well, that's the thing. You wonder whether you know some things now, whether they how they will age. Watching them, say watching them in twenty years' time, will they be uh, as respected as stuff that we were watching twenty years ago ourselves? I don't know. I, I, know, I don't know. It? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I. I. I mean, yeah. I just. I don't really watch much comedy right now. Mm. I work with Harry Harry Peacock. Yeah. Yeah. Something on Toast. He's in Toast, and he does a brilliant. Um, podcast called brian and roger have you heard that yeah with, with dan skinner with dan skinner yeah 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 and i love that a lot i thought that was great yeah they've got a new series i think new series starting soon yeah well you know they can just do it themselves so they don't you know they can just do it whenever they want but that's the the joy as you know the joy of podcasting <laughs> well i don't know about joy <laughs> i'll tell you what i loved actually yeah. but it's not it's not current because I worked with Fred Armisen on Toast. Yes, that was amazing. I just knew I knew Fred from uh, Portlandia, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I had no idea he'd been in so much stuff. And I watched, I started watching. Uh, so actually, I did really get into comedy again because I started watching Fred in the Saturday Night Live from about 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. It's him, Bill Hader, who yeah. I didn't I didn't really know Bill Hader at all. He's also yeah. a Dutton bit in toast. And Kristen Wiig is brilliant. Yeah. So the three of them had done all this brilliant stuff in about 2012 or something. Yeah. Did you see uh, Documentary Now? Yeah, I've seen Documentary oh, Now. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. But I didn't so that was I, I say I don't have that much interest in comedy now, but having seen that I just watch so much. They do these brilliant characters, the Californians. You know the Californians, and it's just think it's so funny. And I just thought, wow, yeah, that's what comedy. You know that that's what exciting about comedy. And uh, so yeah, so that and watching a hundred episodes of Curb, <laughs> which I got from the library, incidentally. That's crazy, isn't it? What you can get from the library these days. <laughs> I just use this platform to plug the great libraries there. Use your local library. Use your local library because I got, I got, I watched, I had, I had a few um, old DVDs, but I got them all from the library. That, that yeah, they do loads of box sets and stuff. It's, it, and it's you, you may ask why I, why I didn't splash out for a box set. <laughs> <I'm> downsizing. <laughs> What's the thing? It's just taking up more room, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, it takes up. You know, <laughs> listeners can't see, but I'm making a sign with my hands indicating. What indicating ten. a box set size, indicating the width of a box set. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so yeah, so that's why I, didn't, I wasn't willing to splash out in the box. <laughs> well, no, why, why spend all that money when you can go to the no, market? Yeah, what happened was I asked Objective, who are a toast production company, do toast because they did yeah. peep show. So, I asked them for a box set of peep show, and that's that that takes up the room that <laughs> would have taken up. It's also a, I've got also got a box set of Hitchcock films. Nice. Yeah, so box sets take up too much room. Really. They really do, don't they? And if, you can get everything online now as well. You can stream stuff, but yeah, I stream stuff. For, 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 for a lot of things, it's nice. It's nicer to have an actual 
you know. No, it is. Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, I, I'm on uh, music wise, I'm on Deezer, which is like Spotify. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know Deezer. Have you heard I of Deezer? Oh, Deezer was still about, to be honest. It is still about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everything on it. It's just, it seems to be as comprehensive as Spotify. Actually, I found this brilliant band called, or I watched a series on Netflix called about uh, South American rock. Mm-hmm. So it was quite funny because like never heard, I've never heard of any of these bands, never heard of any of them. And yet they're all there now, probably <laughs> in their 70s, you know, with the, the shades and the yeah. long hair. Yeah, and long hair, yeah. And they're like in their 70s. They're just, just exactly like rock stars all over the world, except I'd never heard of any of them. But I checked out, I checked out one band called, oh, impossible to pronounce, Atar Chop Elados. Right. And fantastic. <laughs> Again, may I use your platform to promote this Colombian band called Atar Chop Elados. They're really brilliant. Anyway, that's the joy. I'll post some links when I, when I post them. Links, yeah. <laughs> Because they're they're really good. Anyway, so like even though I'm ancient, I can still um get excited about discovering new things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going back to Ted, I know, but like the, the casting of Frank Kelly, like he's he was a known for his stage work. You know, he he I suppose at the time he would have been the most unlikely person to. Oh well, I don't think so because I remember him. You wouldn't remember him, or you mightn't have been around for Hall's Victoria Weekly. Mm. Yeah, well, that was. The very funny cast in that, of which Frank was one, it was a pretty shambolic show, really. But, and it should have had, ideally, it would have had a live audience and been a bit slicker. But that yeah, didn't, yeah. That, none of that matters because the casting were very funny. And Frank also did a radio show called The Den Abbey Show. Uh, and I just always thought he was very, very funny. So, yeah, so that's where he came from. And I knew Ardle a bit. Uh, so yeah, but anyway, that's how all that happened. Yeah, yeah. No, talking about box sets, you know, I have to say that Father Ted is is the greatest comedy sitcom in in history, in my opinion. Anyway, thanks very much. <laughs> that's my opinion so for the record. Though. For the record, you know, you're going up against you know forty towers and. Well, <laughs> and you really believe that, guys? I do. I do. <laughs> so I mean, what? What memories do you have of filming the series? I know you filmed a lot of it was filmed in in win, in the the depths of winter you know, when you were filming some of the outside stuff, um, but it must have been quite a nice. I don't know. Was there was a bit of a bit of a family atmosphere kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, there was. I mean, um, the first series we didn't. We shot around Dublin. The exterior stuff, of course, we did the interior stuff in London. Yeah, but set from the second series, we were down in Clare in November, I think. Yeah, what can I say? We stayed in the Falls Hotel. Dermot would stand out for pizza and we go down. (laughs) It's good. I like it's good to have a routine because writers spend a lot of time on their own. Mm. See, I went to boarding school and even though uh, I probably objected to going back when I'd have to go back for to school. Yeah, I think it's kind of good for me. I think I think uh, that discipline was kind of good for me, you know. Um, so when you go on, a, I, I like going on shoots and being on set because you spend mm. so much time on your own as a writer, you know, well, yeah. well, or painting. I mean, both are solitary pursuits, really. Yeah. Well, unless you're writing with it with, when I was writing with Graham or whatever. Obviously, that's different. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned 40 Towers there. I mean, was there a bit of a, a 40 Towers mentality to 
only making those 25 episodes no no did you, did you have in your head that this is it was going to be yeah no we did actually yeah yeah i think with those characters uh because uh, they're not really set in the real world mm. so maybe there's a limit to the amount of surrealism you can get away with maybe i don't know but anyway 25 episodes is quite a lot i know in america see in america they wouldn't understand that because of something successful yeah couldn't understand why you'd stop doing it keep going and keep going and keep going yeah, yeah. whereas in, in britain there's a different kind of mentality um so yeah it seemed 25 seems about right yeah no, I, I came to some of the filmings um the one for the really? yeah the the over 75s football match did you uh, really yeah yeah no i was I, you know ted for me was was huge like the i found the divine comedy through ted and divine comedy for me is my you know the, i know yeah yeah i go but off, graham, and, graham, go off graham, and... graham discovered the divine comedy for me in fact i remember he had a cassette of the first album before it was released just in, it's just the, the names typed on it. Yeah, yeah. No, without so, Ted, without Ted, you know, I wouldn't have found the Divine Comedy. So it's uh, well, you might you might have found him through another route. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think there's that path, you know. But there's such a timelessness to Ted. You know, you turn on Channel Four now on of an evening, and you're pretty much guaranteed there's going to be an episode of one of the episodes of Ted on. I mean, what do you think it is? I mean, I know it's probably a really possibly a, a, an unanswerable question but I mean what is it you think that makes Ted so timeless well I don't know um it's likable and um you know there's a bit of a story going on and there's a few laughs along the way <laughs> as to as to why that 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 has lasted other than other shows I suppose I think people have a fondness for it because there is something very likable about it and the characters. Yeah, yeah. It's probably got a big likability factor. Yeah. It ticks a lot of boxes, doesn't it? Like, the characters are likeable. You've got your catchphrases. <laughs> well, the catchphrases, yeah. But they're brilliant because they just emerged, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't think, oh, I'm going to write a catchphrase because, I mean, it must be Oh well, no, I've, 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 I've heard people say that. You should never deliberately kind of write a catchphrase. Yeah. And they, they just emerged, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, there's been so many, like, you know, like on the Fast Show, obviously, even Harry yeah. Enfield, Vic and Bob, catchphrases just hmm. emerged. Well, from well, we, we wrote a bit, we wrote a bit on the Fast Show because Jeffrey Perkins, who produced Father Ted, told us, oh, I'm work, I'm going to be working in this show called The Fast Show. <laughs> and what's that? He says, it's going to be like Rowan and Martin's laughing. That's how he described it. <laughs> but it didn't really turn out like that. But I remember meeting Paul Whitehouse and Charlie Higson in a pizza place in, in London and they were just saying what the show is going to be in that. It's funny because I know like Paul and Charlie. I know who's Paul and who is Charlie. And this used to happen with me and Graham as well. People would always call me Graham and call him Arthur. <laughs> and even though I absolutely know who Paul Whitehouse and Charlie Higson yeah. are, I can tell them apart. <laughs> Sometimes I would I remember saying to Charlie at something. Is Charlie coming along as well? And he says, I am Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> so that would happen a lot. And that would happen to me and Graham a lot as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had Charlie was on a, a few podcasts ago. And he's oh, just, was he? Almost yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm quite working my way through my, my comedy heroes, basically. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But uh he was amazing. Yeah, you know, he had all this 
the fast show stuff and you know he's yeah, but he's, also, he's also in a bit not very much in harry anfield's first series that i've been watching yeah. so he's in that and mark williams is in a bit as well yeah have you read simon day's autobiography no i haven't simon's been on the podcast as well actually a little while, a little while. well there you go um I didn't know he'd been on as well. Obviously, you have to check out. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, his book is brilliant. His autobiography is fantastic. Someone told me to read it, and I put it off. And so, uh, I just, one of those things you put off. But when I yeah. did read it, it's absolutely great. Oh, it's crazy. Even talking to him, and he was, you know, talking about his colourful past. And you're like, it's colourful past. <laughs> wow. I know. Yeah, it's incredible. So, yeah. I'd plug that as well for, for Simon Day. Yeah. Yeah, so check out check out a few of my older podcasts. <laughs> I actually will, you know. I I um yeah, I should have been I can I can only apologize. <laughs> no, it's okay. you're a busy you're a busy man. A busy man. <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not. I spend all my time listening to podcasts. <laughs> you can eat you've got a new one, one now. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm just working my way through all my sort of comedy heroes, really. And the you know, fast show, fast show Vic and Bob kind of came around at you know, Vic and Bob were a real kind of keystone for me for with a lot of things. I mean, Fast Show was huge, all that kind of stuff, like the Randall and Hopkirk they did, and obviously Charlie yeah. worked on that. And, yeah. you know, there's all these different, as I said, there's all these kind of different tree roots going to different people. But obviously yourself connected with with Harry. Yeah, it's a rock, like Harry it's, stuff. It's, you know, comedy you know, trees. Yeah, yeah, all these, uh, you know. I read, I read Bob Mortimer's autobiography recently as well. Oh, love Bob, that. love Bob so much. Yeah, everyone loves Bob. He's one of the most lovable people. He's very good mates with Matt Berry, actually. Yeah, have you did you have you watched any of the fishing show he did with Paul? Yeah. Oh, man, just Bob just falling over. Just yeah, I've never really met Bob, really met him. I've met Vic a bit and I've, I've been in things. Where he was, Bob was in, in Toast and... Mm. You, I wasn't on set that day, so I've never really, and I'd have a lot in common with Bob, with the football and stuff. Yeah. And comedy, and I always think I should know Bob more. Yeah. Than I do. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's weird. It, it would be a natural connection. Do you know what I mean? Kind you of and gay. Bob would have been a natural, natural fit. You know. Yeah, and maybe I have gay crashes friendship. <laughs> yeah. Very, because they make for. Yeah, love. or you know, get to him through. Through Charlie, through Paul, you know, just uh, many ways I can get to him. Yeah. Wow, that's like those those chains of connection, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'd say I always thought we'd be we'd be best pals. And in his autobiography, he obviously he kind of admits that he's kind of a bit lonely almost in his mm. early years when he went to college and didn't really know anyone. I thought, wow, well, I should it'd be great if I had met Bob. Eighty <laughs> three. Well, it could it could have been it could have been Bob and Arthur, you know, instead of been, Vic yeah. and Bob. It could have been, you know, there might have not yeah. even been there wouldn't have been an Arthur and Graham, there might have been, you know, Arthur and Bob. Who knows? <laughs> In an alternate reality, you yeah, know, you're yeah. you're off I doing sketches. Gonna... It's not too late to meet Bob. I, I think you need to make that happen. <laughs> do, yeah. Maybe Bob will hear this and get in touch with me. Oh, that would be lovely. That'd be lovely. Put some, put some feelers yeah, we out. We up doing a, a podcast together. Yeah. Three. Oh man. Oh, Bob would be my ultimate. You know, ultimate asked, guest. Asked him to be on the, to be on it. Yeah, I should, I should. And Matt as well. I'd love to get Matt on the podcast at some point. That'd be good. I'll ask him. That'd be good. That'd be good. Um. So, I mean, you've you've worked on, you've written for some of the most iconic shows basically over the past twenty five years. Big Train, 
hugely, hugely underrated. Paris, hugely underrated. Uh, Brass Eye, you created Ted and Ralph for the Fast Show. I mean, you know, again, two iconic characters with with their own catchphrases going on. Uh, you wrote, did some stuff for Black Books. You worked with Harry. I mean, the list is like ridiculous. I mean, sort of looking I wrote, back, one, I wrote one episode of Black yeah, Books. Yeah, yeah. Changed about ninety percent of. <laughs> My name is on that. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I read. I wrote, wrote. Have you read Well Remembered Days? No, no, I haven't. I, I need to get to that. That's one of my favorite things I've done. I love when people come up to me and said, "I I read your Well Remembered Days book." But um, so I mean, looking back on that, obviously, is. obviously, you're you're best known for Father Ted. But I mean, do you do you have a favorite project of all the or all the projects you've worked on? Do you kind of have any good memories of? You know, and Toast, obviously, is a... I yeah, know, well, Toast well, of Pinsentown was amazing. Oh, right. Thanks very much. But um, my book, Well Remember Days, is probably... There's more of me in that than anything I've done, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, obviously, Ted is great. And uh, Toast, I love doing, because Matt Berry is probably the funniest as a performer. The funniest performer. Like, you don't have to give Matt much to <laughs> do. Yeah. just when he says something, it's funny. So, I mean, I mean, I work with Matt and that's, but like, apart from that, uh, you know, if it wasn't for Matt coming along 10, 12 years ago, I, I, I don't know what I would have done comedy wise, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like 10% or 90% of stuff I write or 80% it just doesn't get anywhere on screen, you know, it just gets rejected. Wow. Like I, I wrote, I wrote a thing called Men and Women. And it was, we had a cast reading and it was like, this was just after Big Train, I think. And the cast, like at the, at the read, at the read was like uh, Simon Pegg, Ben Miller, Rebecca Front, was it? Mm. Sally, Sally Phillips. Just amazing cast. Uh, Kevin Eldon. Yeah. Just an amazing cast. But like, it, it just, that didn't get commissioned. And like, you know, 80% of the stuff, I don't, you know, I, I'm not as, I was pretty prolific at one stage, just giving ideas out. But now I don't, I'm quite, I'm quite happy just to work with Matt Reedy. Because he's, I mean, he's quite big in the States now, because yeah. that's what we do in the shadows. Yeah, yeah, they've got, they've got another series, haven't they? I think of that. Uh, yeah, so he gets all Yeah, he's done very well there. So, you know, I've done a few things with him. Apart from that, I wouldn't probably be doing anything much. Um, yeah, maybe you can get to you get to Bob through Matt definitely. You know, with their with their uh, House of Fools connection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But uh, and I did what else? Did I do I did uh, the Ikea musical of Paul, which was great, mm. and Nugent, which was which that was great to do that. That was that was good. Um, yeah, so that's it. But I've never been hugely ambitious, you know, and I'm especially now. I'm just happy to work with Matt really, um, and yeah. then just wind down. <laughs> Even watching like um, Garth Marenghi. I mean, you... oh god, yeah. That was oh brilliant. man, what a you know him, Richard Iwadi, and just. I remember driving home from. Incredible. I was going to Dublin. I drove home from the airport very fast, very fast. Yes, very fast. <laughs> so that I could, uh, so I could, I wouldn't watch the, the miss the beginning of Garth Marenghi. Ah, oh. wonderful show, yeah. Incredible, you know, when they have it like on the on the chopper bikes and stuff going through the 
Yeah, I must, watch, I must watch it again. Again, yeah. it's one of those timeless, it looks really dated, but do you know what I mean? I think it was meant to look. I, I never knew when it was meant to be set. No, 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 exactly. It was that weird, <laughs> weird kind of timeless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know when it was meant to be set. But yeah, no, he was amazing in that. And like IT crowd, and obviously. Yeah, yeah. Hunderby with uh, Julia Davis. Yeah, yeah. That's a great show. That's yeah. a really underrated show. But she's brilliant. She's probably, yeah. Anything she does is really interesting and subversive. So Julie's really good, but she she was in Big Train, but she was recommended by Arabella Weir. Right, right. And also on Big Train was uh, Catherine Tate starting Big Train, really, because we had a sketch show where this woman was going out with a set of traffic lights. <laughs> And it was a French film, so it had to, had to be subtitled. And I think Catherine Tate got that role because she could speak <laughs> French, or it sounded as if she could speak French. So, um, so that was, yeah. So, and then I wrote some stuff for her sketch show as well. But anyway, it's all linked. Yeah, no, it's so weird, all these different connections. But as you say, Matt's getting, Matt's doing, re- he's doing really well in America at the moment. And, you know, obviously with the Fred Armisen connection and, you know, Fred's connected well, to so many people. a lot of these people, yeah. He's very busy and he's got his music career as well. Yeah, which... yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, does, again, another probably possibly bizarre question, but so does, does writing comedy have a different mentality to it? Um, do you have to write with a purpose? Um, write with a purpose. I don't know. I think I've always just thought that this wouldn't it be funny if this happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if this happened? Like that traffic light. Wouldn't it be funny if I saw a French film with the, one of those scenes in it where they're talking about love or romance or whatever, or life, but one of them isn't a man. It's a set of traffic lights. <laughs> so that's, you know. Yeah. It was like Paris. It was like what um, Paris, though. It had you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a French accent to be seen <laughs> on the whole thing. No, it was well, like... no, there wasn't. But that was the whole that was done in a very stylized way. Yeah, yeah. That's where we're very um, stylized and everything. But I don't know. I mean, I just I like Paul as this as well. It's just you think of uh, wouldn't it be funny if this happened or. Yeah. That's it, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, that must I mean, be so hard to think. Oh, I have to be funny. I have to write something funny. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It must be. But I'm pretty, you know. I'm putting I'm yourself pretty, under too much pressure. I'm prolific, and I'm confident as a writer. Yeah. You know, there are many elements of my life where I wasn't confident, like when I was seventeen or eighteen, like, or yeah, yeah, as old as that. How am I going to get a girlfriend? Like <laughs> that couldn't happen, could it? I see all these people in couples. I couldn't do that. What am I supposed to do? Like chat up someone or what? <laughs> I thought, you know, I'm not going to be able to do that. But I never, with writing, I never felt that. I felt confident, completely confident. Yeah, yeah. And painting. I mean, what was the process for Aikino then? I mean, that must be like a total departure from obviously, you know, writing sitcoms. Well, I just thought. It, I Paul's it, got musical, he's got his musical side of... Uh, the Roy Keane Mick McCarthy fallout seemed like just something, a brilliant dynamic and contrast between personalities. Yeah. So if you just set it in ancient Rome, <laughs> that would kind of make sense. Making it a musical, you know. 
what's not to love? No, Paul, Paul could write the music for it. I got Mick Nugent involved in it. Um, and they were very um, surprisingly um, willing to put it on in Andrews Lane. Yeah, and it was huge though, wasn't it? I remember it was just, it was yeah, on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Weeks. yeah, it struck a note. And um, I mean, it was it was theatre or musicals for people who probably didn't usually go to musicals. Yeah. I mean, I like I actually like musicals. Some people are dismissive of them, like Stuart Lee when he wrote. Uh, the Jerry Springer, the opera was always very dismissive of other musicals, but I like musicals and uh, especially the old musicals like, you know, um, Calamity Jane or something. Oh, Annie Get Your Gun. I used to see one when, when, in the Board Gosh Theatre, which is a great theatre, I'd see a lot of these shows. Um, and then in London, like 20 years ago, I used to go and see South Pacific and Kiss Me Kate and all these. Yeah. But yeah, why not have a musical? Because um, I find theatre can be a bit wearying without songs. <laughs> <laughs> I've had very dull, very dull moments in, in theatre when I just... So you're, you're not a fan of Shakespeare? No, it's impenetrable to me. <laughs> At the time I've translated 16th century English into modern day, the plot has moved on, I can tell you that. I've had some watching Shakespeare I've just thought about my mind has been so unable to concentrate and I've, I've thought about things I haven't thought about since I was about five years old <laughs> well no, you're trying to work out the story are you you're kind of who's this guy and what's he you know what's his mode uh, and what is he doing I like Ben Elton's uh, David Mitchell what was a crow oh upstart crow yeah I like that that was mm. right. I thought it was probably better than Shakespeare <laughs> Well, a bit more accessible, I suppose. I don't. I remember Frank Skinner once admitted that Frank Skinner said, well, I'm an intelligent bloke, but I don't I don't get this. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just the language I, can, I just cannot have the by the time you translate it into what they're trying to say. It's just it's, yeah, it's moved. Yeah. On. That's one of those, it's like that mentality as well, isn't it? Don't I mean, when you look at Frank Skinner and Three Lions, the stuff he did with David Baddiel and that kind of touched a chord with. Again, it's about just touching a chord with... Again, Frank Skinner is someone that I'd never met. I thought I'd have something in common with. I saw him live many years ago, and he was ex- extremely blue. <laughs> yeah, but then again, I mean, I, I don't really like that. But then again, he, he did decide to go on a tour where he wouldn't swear, which I thought was really good. Also, his autobiography is very funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, he's another one that's got a very kind of colourful past. He does have a colourful past, yeah, yeah. Again, I've, I've never met him, I think. Again, I th- I'd like to think I would have got on with him. Uh, so we yeah. need to hook you up with Bob Mortimer and Frank Skinner. I think we do in some kind of, you know, old folks' home. <laughs> old, comedians, old comedians' home. What is it? Bob Bob calls it the the showbiz centre. He, he he reckons he, he you know he talks about in his, his podcast he does with uh, Atletico Mints that yeah. he does with Andy Dawson. Yeah, uh, they talk about the showbiz center, so that could be you know where you'd all you'd all hook up, hook up. Uh, yeah, eventually. I think Bob Bob reading his autobiography just for the last few years before he got very ill was happy just to sit at home and watch television. Yeah, I think he should. I think he should really watch like more upmarket programs than he does. <laughs> 
seems to be pretty grim stuff. All these real housewives and stuff. That yeah, it seems to be pretty grim stuff that I, I wouldn't watch. That it was too Denmark. Much as I, much as I struggled with Shakespeare, I wouldn't go down to the depths <laughs> of daytime television that Bob Mortimer goes to. I was saying, I think since COVID, he's like, oh, I don't really need to leave the house anymore. Do you know what I mean? I suppose he, he goes off on his fishing trips with Paul and, yeah. you know, then he comes back and just settles back into... Yeah, he's nothing... Bob's, he's got nothing to prove, you know? No, 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 definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, as I said, him, him, and, him and Jim just kind yeah. of shape, shape comedy for a, lot, Jim, for a generation. Jim does his, like, he's very into his painting and art. Yeah. He does yeah. a lot of documentaries and... He just does what he wants, you know. It's like, it's like Griff Reese Jones, who I always thought, even when he was young, there was something of the the elder statesman about him. Mm. So he's he's got a lovely little um niche now for himself, where he does lots of documentaries and restores his Pembrokeshire farm or goes traveling across India. Yeah, I mean that's great. You know, you can you can uh, you can once you've proved yourself, you can why just do what you want, and if you know if you're lucky enough to have the money to do it. Yeah. Uh, which Griff certainly would have. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit like us, Griff, me and Graham. He was really good yeah. to us. And, uh, I've always a lot of time for Griff. And um, I went to see his one-man show a few years ago. Mm. COVID. He was really good to us. And I, I have a lot of time for Griff. We even stayed in his flat and killed one. Not that he, as he got richer, he'd accumulate all these houses. <laughs> so one of them was in... Um, in Kilburn, where we stayed for we stayed for a year or two or whatever. Yeah, it's so bizarre, isn't it? But uh, Smith and Jones again, you know, not the nine o'clock news and all those guys, you know, shaped shaped a generation. It's it's, it's yeah. kind of funny when you look at. You know, Mel, Mel you know, Smith was one of those people. You know, they said people when they walk into a room, everyone yeah. that he was he had that by about twelve. You know, he was a big personality. But again, you know, we were just two lads from Dublin. Who uh, who went from nowhere really to being like you know, I was back in Dublin. Graham rang me up and said, "Do you want to go?" And, uh, Mel and Griff want you to come. This was the early nineties, and we'd sent just stuff into their show. Yeah. Graham rang up and says, "Do you want to go to a meet? They have these meetings and talk back. Do you want to come in?" And we, so we ended up going to these meetings with Mel and Griff, who were like really big at the time. Yeah, yeah. Very established, and I I did I liked. Not the Nine Luck News was a great show, and uh, and um, Smith and Jones. So I remember being there in their office and uh, thinking, "Wow, this is this is exciting." Yeah. So I mean, would that have been your that would have been your first sort sort of proper job writing for? Yeah. Proper real big job working working with uh, Smith and Jones. And we just sent sketches into their mm. script, Jim Pollan, and they said, "Yeah, we like these. We use this. It was that simple, you know." Whereas in Ireland, that would ne- never have happened. No. So that kind of meritocracy. Yeah. Well, you can see why a lot of comedians like Dara Breen, you know, went to London to, yeah, sure. to find, their, find their fortune. Bob Lucas asked me once, so did you go to Cambridge? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a serious question. Like, anyway, no, I didn't go to Cambridge. <laughs> College of Marketing and Design. But no, I went to Oxford. <laughs> yeah. College of Marketing and Design in Parnell Square. <laughs> I mean, look at Michael Palin now, you know, off travelling the world and writing books and stuff. It's Well, he's been doing that for 40 years. It's crazy, isn't it? You know, going from his, again, going from one of the biggest comedy comedy troops in the world. To... I never, I've never met Palin. I'd like to have met one of the Pythons. 
because I mean the Pythons for uh, for my generation were the Beatles. The Beatles. Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, I met him once. I met him at a book signing, and yeah. uh, he was lovely, as you, as you'd expect. You'd expect. Yeah. You know, you'd expect nothing less of. Uh, sure. Yeah. Of Michael Palin. Yeah. Like, so, do you find it easier to write with a partner, or is it nicer to have that kind of kind of bat ideas off each other, or are you kind of happy? writing on your own or do you have a, a preference or just you just like Wing doing roundabouts <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm happy, very happy to write on my own <laughs> <laughs> like it starts off with a writing partner i'm speaking generally yeah like so many people have writing partners don't they they, they, they would they'd always I mean, like, I know andy Riley, you know andy Riley and kevin sassler did a lot of stuff they write for a lot loads of shows and Andy particularly is, is a mate of mine, but they've been writing together for years and years. Mm. And it's it starts off, I don't know. It always ends up with um, you you've been writing something and thinking this is great, and then you show it to your writing partner. I'm, I'm speaking <laughs> generally. Speaking generally, yes, of course. And they say, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas if you're writing on your own, you can think that's great. I mean, you do need obviously, but at every stage in comedy. There are millions of people going over your what you've written and giving you notes on it. And that's got much more um, prevalent in recent years than it used to be. Yeah, like, yeah. When we were doing Ted, Seamus Casty, who's got a big, a big part in the, in the Ted story, who was commissioning editor at Channel 4, he'd more or less let us do anything, really. And now there are so many execs and yeah. people. But there's just a lot more. You get a lot more notes than than you used to get yeah yeah you've just got a lot more notes from a lot more people than you used to but you know with toast I'm, i feel very lucky to be doing it at all you know yeah 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 so there are a hell of a lot more pluses than minuses on it yeah no, it's been so successful as well i know i know neil hannon's been involved in a yeah i think he was involved in a, one or two episodes of yeah. toast as well well yeah he knows matt but matt matt's so into his music but one of the nice things that's happened in recent years is that I'm through Matt, I met this guy, Eddie Pillar, who runs Acid Jazz Records, where mm. Matt does his music. And he's a great bloke and runs this totally wired radio station. I didn't know it was such a big world of of, of mods and soul people. And uh, there's like a real community. So I, I know Matt loves, like Eddie does a live show every Thursday, as I know Matt loves going into that show. and just Yeah, yeah. And I've done it. I've I've done it in as well. And there's something brilliant about the whole world, which I didn't really know existed. Uh, but it's a real community, you know. Mm. And I'm not. I'm very, you know. I'm very an a, an individual, and don't really believe in uh, following in the pack. <laughs> following the pack at all. Yeah. But the, I could, I, you know, I can see it's a really great community. The whole mod soul thing which I didn't really know existed to the extent it did. So, uh, yeah, again, it's about getting recommendations from people, isn't it? Like, you know, again, finding new stuff that you wouldn't necessarily find yeah. out from like-minded people. If somebody likes the same, it's like the Divine Comedy, you know, other Divine Comedy fans would say, oh, have you heard of these guys? Yeah. You know, I found like the Magnetic Fields. Yeah. I found Bell and Sebastian and all these, you know, all these yeah. other, these other guys. And it's such a great way of finding out about new yeah, well, that that's the great thing about why would I have even, you know, 35, 40 years ago, where would I even hear this stuff? You know, yeah. you would 
So I don't know how they managed it here. I must ask them how they <laughs> managed to find out all this. What are your stuff sources? Forty years ago, but now you can you can discover just millions of things. I yeah. think those streaming services are great. I mean, but then I also see how simple it would have been for when bands just produced records and people bought them. Mm. Simplicity of that, and then you'd know who was you know. You could make a living from it, and now I don't know how streaming works really. How much money people get? I think it's very little, isn't it? I suppose like Spotify, yeah, yeah, Spotify and stuff still, is well known for. Yeah, but they're still on it. Like they're still, everyone has their stuff on on Spotify now. You know who doesn't have yeah. it? Yeah, no, it's one of the best ways of finding new bands, isn't it? You know they they suggest, <laughs> oh, if you like this, you might like this, and yeah, you know yeah. eight it's times good. out of ten, you're like, oh wow, yeah. actually. Yeah, 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 but um. But as I say, I'm stuck for storage space. <laughs> I don't have that many records. I've only got about 50 or 60 records, I think, like LPs from like yeah. four years ago. Yeah. But and none of them play because I've got <laughs> quite expensive, not hugely expensive because you can spend about 20 grand on them, turntable for maybe 300 quid or something. Nearly every record I, I play on it skips. <laughs> I don't know why it's just they be, they came back in fashion like when yeah. Matt Berry one of his albums is out on cassette <laughs> yeah Neil did that on his last album as well <laughs> I saw I was in in the raft office politics he released the released the cassette version well you know who I presume oh yeah I mean someone must buy them I don't know I have it but I'm a completist so <laughs> you have a cassette player to play it on somewhere <laughs> I think it's still in its wrapper, you know, when I, from from when I bought it. It's just one of those things, you know, yourself, when you are when you collect stuff, you just... You, you should you, open it just to see what it's like inside. Oh, oh you know. You two of them and you can open it. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. I can just see what it's like inside. I mean, let's talk about music properly now. So it's, it's obviously, it's very well documented that you're a huge music fan. Like Love of the Smiths, obviously, your Love of the Smiths is very Yeah, well, documented. at the time, yeah, I mean, now I, I, you know, that was very much... Of the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's Morrissey. Oh, yeah, he he gets it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, right, okay, yeah, I see what he's about. No, I'm sick and I am dull and I am... <laughs> yeah, I get that. But I would, I you know, I st- I wouldn't listen. And now I just listen to kind of soul music and uh, the jazz and um, this. As I say, I mentioned this band again, or the Colombian band, at the shop Elados. <laughs> it's brilliant. They're so good. I flit around now. You know, I listen to stuff that I, it's it's funny to listen to stuff that that's been out there for years and you've never heard and you think wow that's amazing but that is brilliant you can access all this stuff it's brilliant yeah i mean have there been any sort of major music loves in your life be it a band or a or sex a, pistols but the pistols i liked yeah for that you know i loved my when i was 10 in the summertime by mungo jerry was a huge yeah. and um i discovered because i watched a program the other day that mungo jerry played an outdoor festival in dublin in 1970 Really? Year ago, yeah, in Richmond Park, which is St. Patrick's Athletic Ground. Anyway, yeah, so that I loved that. And then there was like uh, all the pop music in the charts in 1970 was great. So then it was that and glam rock. 
straight into Punk, then the Smiths, and then nothing until... <laughs> <laughs> because I thought the 80s was just an awful decade from music. It was just terrible. So nothing and until, well, yeah, the Divine Comedy, I liked a lot in the early 90s. Sent out again. Graham got me into all this stuff. Sent yeah. And now it's just wall to wall soul and jazz. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, Graham was a big champion for Neil, wasn't he, back in the day? Back in the yeah. 90s. Yeah, as I say, he had the, fir- the first, the his first album on cassette before it was released. So I would have heard it before it was even released. Yeah, very mature. How old was he when he did that? Like 20, oh, 21? Not even that, I don't think. I mean, Casanova, he was, what, 25? Yeah. And Casanova came out. But I think he's 50 now. 50, over 50. He's 51. That suits him. Don't you think? Yeah, it's... yeah. That's been quite funny. Like, the, the recent tour finished a couple of weeks ago. And it was quite funny. Down the front, there's all these screaming teenage girls. <laughs> And he's, he's like, stop screaming at me, madam. I'm a 51-year-old man. <laughs> you know? But he looks, he looks the right age for, like, the way Griff. Was, he was, it was the right age for him to be kind of, you know, 50. And uh, he seems very at ease where he is now. Yeah, it's been, it's been good. You know, he's, he's such a body of work. Oh, yeah. Like, the last tour was just the greatest hits, wasn't it? Yeah. And he's he's got the compilation, so he does. He's nothing yeah. to prove. He's, he's a box set. He's a yeah, player. he's a, he's a great body of work behind him, you know. And that's what I'm saying. That I'm sure, like he's not going to give up anytime soon. <laughs> 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 like I mean, I'm older than Neil. Uh, I remember him saying to me at some enemy award ceremony in 1993 or four. He says he said to me, "You're quite old, aren't you?" Oh. <laughs> but now we're both the same age <laughs> sort of thing he'd say yeah yeah i think i remember i think i met you very briefly at the the after show in the royal festival hall back in 97 oh my god yeah i remember that show. i remember yeah. that show very well yeah i think that was the one where he shaved the beard was it yeah i remember i do remember that because yeah, you and graham were there i remember the yorkster didn't he yeah yeah, that was a tremendous show. That's one of my favourite live shows. Generally, I prefer really small venues. And when I was going to gigs in the 80s, I mean, I'd go and see the Smiths. I saw the Smiths twice. Mm. Once in Dundalk, actually. But I'd go and see, you know, in the late 70s, you'd go and see, like, Buzzcocks and Stranglers and that, um, The Clash and all these, and XTC. But in the 80s, my favorite gigs are just when I was in Hot Press, we'd go and see bands like Something Happens, or there's a band called Scale the Heights. We used to see the Golden Horde and the Blades, who are brilliant, mm. who I saw recently again. Yeah, they're still touring, aren't they? Yeah, and that was just a great gig. But I always preferred them to, to bigger gigs, you know. I tell you, so I used to love, love um, John Otway. You know, John Otway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, myself and my sister are huge fans of John Otway. And we first saw him in 78 and we've seen him on and off. And he did his 5,000 gig recently in London. Yeah, yeah. We went to, we went to see it in the Shepherd's Bush. We oh. went to see him in South... We've seen him a few times over the last few years. Saw him in South End and um, Margate. So we were big fans of his. I always loved his shows. And Hank Wangford. Do you remember, remember Hank Wangford? Country act. Kind of tongue-in-cheek no. <laughs> country act. And they were tremendous, yeah. tremendous fun as well. 
Bobby Valentino played um, violin with them. Who was it? <laughs> Clark Gable lookalike. And he wrote, or co-wrote, Young at Heart by the Bluebells. Do you remember that? No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the fiddle bit at the beginning. Yeah. That's Bobby <laughs> Valentino, whose sister, here's a link. Go on. Sister is Anne Dudley. You know Anne Dudley? I know the, the name. Neil's a big fan. She's a kind of composer, I think. Right, right, right. Yeah, I know Neil's a fan of hers. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so they were always my favourite gigs, going to going to pubs, you know, the smaller the better, really. Yeah, and I remember when Neil was touring, well, he was supporting Robbie Williams, and, you know, he was doing all these stadiums and things, and I think we went to see them at the Brighton Centre, and then we we're, were chatting after, and he's like, oh, are you coming to Wembley? And I was like, no, I don't want to see you at Wembley. It was just, like, totally, totally shit on every single gig I've ever seen you do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, why would you... Yeah. You know, why would you go and see anything, you know, on that scale? Just Yeah, but I'm also a big fan of just watching, um, if you've got a good sound system and a big television. Yeah. That's that's probably better than being an actual... I know, big... I know. You go and the, the person is probably like, you know, <laughs> about an inch tall anyway to look at. And you're looking but at I, a screen on the yeah, side of the stage. You, a, you know, good stereo and a big television... You know, it's it's pretty good. It's better. It's not. It's better than being at a gig. I think. <laughs> I had I instigated a, a a rule a few years ago. I'd only go and see acts or individuals that were over sixty five years of age. <laughs> but now I've upped that to seventy. Yeah. So I I went to see Elton John. I've always had a soft spot for Elton John. Yeah. And Fleetwood Mac, who I never really liked back in the day, I wouldn't like them. So, so that was, you know, I decided to go, but I'm not going again to those kind of big gigs. No, no. And what was the last gig you were at recently uh, or, or was it a while ago? Years ago. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely went to see Fleetwood Mac and Elton John. There was a band called the Woodbees who I used to like. They did their... Oh, sorry, I do know who it was. It was the Blades gig a few months ago. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago. That was terrific. That was great. Elton, Elton John makes me laugh. He's like my final farewell tour, and, yeah. then, the ne- and then the next year, I'm yeah, this is I'm I'm still going, but I'm going to do a few more shows. <laughs> well, you see, I mean, Elton, you know, I'm no fan of his, you know, what is it, the Lion King or any of that stuff. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah. Back in the '70s, he did. Oh um, yeah, it's like his early stuff was incredible. Oh, Yellow Brick Road is is a great album. I uh, I actually got a vinyl copy of that new, and. Uh, it skipped. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to get you a. Someone needs to get you a, a record, a record cleaning system for Christmas. Don't think I haven't tried everything. <laughs> Every kind of industrial method. Like, what are uh, you doing? What are you doing to your vinyl? You know. <laughs> and I brought it back to demand the shop, and he gave me another one that skipped as well. That skipped as well. <laughs> so I don't know what it is. Where is where is my 1978 copy of the Buzzcocks and other music in a different kitchen? plays perfectly so i don't know what that's about ah, it's all a bit spooky isn't it so there's yeah. there's nothing kind of nothing at the moment out there floating your boat i think there's that new elvis movie oh i'm looking forward to that. I, out that I saw it i was lucky enough to see a press screening a couple of weeks ago it's incredible oh brilliant i love elvis yeah i mean that's the thing we, we was talking to somebody the other day how you know El, it's probably going to divide a lot of elvis fans you know like the hardcore Elvis contingent you know you kind of wonder whether they're going to go oh this is a really nice tribute mm. or whether it's like oh my god you just shat on Elvis <laughs> you know yeah. on Elvis's memory 
Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, yeah, I don't like <laughs> slag off Elvis. I can't help thinking, don't, don't slag Elvis off. Don't, don't say mean things. <laughs> Had that and I think it's gonna do her. it's gonna do incredibly well when I think even the soundtrack is gonna do yeah I mean you know he he obviously made mistakes in his life <laughs> yeah but like he didn't know what he was doing he was the first he was the first major you know pop rock and roll superstar so he didn't know what the hell he was getting into really yeah yeah he was five years younger if he was born in 1940 like John Lennon you know what would he have been like? You know, mm. five years could have made a huge difference. Mm. But no, I love it. I love Elvis, and uh, he's a lovely, he's a brilliant singer, and he made more good records than bad yeah. records. Yeah, no, the, the guy that's this Austin Butler, Butler, who's playing him in this new film, is fantastic. Really, really. Yeah, good. no, I really look forward to that. I'll, 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 I'll go to the cinema to see that. Are you a movie goer, or again, no, are you, are you sitting, really, at, sitting at home watching with your TV? I've gone off movies. I've gone off films. And drama generally, I've just I don't know why I've gone out. I watch a lot more documentaries. Um I don't it's odd. I don't I watch do you know talking pictures TV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watch a lot of I watch stuff on that like The Saint. Yeah, yeah. The 60s, the early black and white ones. Yeah. And I watched a series called Public Eye, which I used to, I vaguely remember from my childhood. That was terrific. And just lots of stuff on that, you know. Um Basically, every program on Talking Pictures TV has some kind of warning. <laughs> I'm, just ima- I'm just imagining in 20 years' time that, you know, Father, Father Ted's going to have a, a warning underneath it for, yeah. you know, but racism the- racism or... Yeah, Pro- yeah, probably. I think it's maybe been... Uh, Ted and the Chinese, you know. Oh, yeah, no, I think it has gotten into trouble. Uh, but anyway, um, I was going to say that, because I like like the saint and the avengers and and uh yeah and those shows from the 60s when I, which i remember when i was a child I, I one of my favorite things to do is pick out actors that i've subsequently worked with who are in those shows and it's up to about 12 or 13 really, or 14. really? Yeah. wow there's someone called vernon dubchef who is he was in one there's an episode in father's head about kind of nazi old nazi priests <laughs> out there hiding and one of them is played by vernon dubchef and he is in almost every film in the 60s or tv show I was watching i saw um fiddler on the roof is on amazon prime so i watched that, that. vernon dubchef's <laughs> he's in the saint he's in there was also someone called rio fanning he was in. Oh, he was in. He was in Father Ted, and he's in loads of those shows, The Avengers. But it's. I've, I'm up to about fourteen now of those people who I've worked with. A lot of them probably would have died now, fairly recently, I suppose, because be very old. I think Farron and Dubchef still might be alive. Yeah, I mean that was another thing I loved about Ted, like the just the amount of Irish comedians you had in it was was ridiculous. Yeah. You know, like I don't know how Kevin Gildy and you know yeah. Tommy Tiernan. How he missed out because I love um Apre Match, and I've no idea how he missed out on on Richard. Barry was in it, but mm. we missed out on Richard and Gary Cook. Yeah, they were just brilliant, you know. And I don't know how he missed them, but um, anyway, whatever. But, I don't um, know. Apre Match was was huge, wasn't it? So maybe they were too busy doing. I, I think they're really talented. You know, people they're great, and we got Pat Short in it, of course, who's great, and John Kenny, 
Uh, but yeah, it was and Joe Rooney, of course, and, pa- and Patrick, Patrick McDonald. Yeah, yeah. On the he was on the last episode of the, the podcast. Oh, great! I, I listened. To that. No, he was talking about you know just talking about Owen McLove and his his time on filming and all this good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great story. Don't really told you. He was oh, a, he's such a he's such a great from, storyteller. Um, where I'm kind of from. And yeah. After he did the episode of Ted. He went to a local pub and some fellow was looking. <laughs> yeah, he tells that story. <laughs> okay. How much did you get paid for doing that? <laughs> what did you get for that? <laughs> and then he said he got the bus. He got the bus back to his flat or something, and he literally stepped off the bus and someone shouted at him, "I, I have no willy." <laughs> well, you know. I, well, I, I obviously have a lot of catching up to do, Paula, with your... With your uh, no, but I mean, the, the, the catchphrases, <laughs> again, with the catchphrases, do you know what I mean? It's like such random, such random, random things that become catchphrases. It's yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right there, Ted. That, that yeah. could be simpler, could it? And those slogans, what is it? Um, careful now, careful Dan. Careful now, yeah, down with this sort of thing. No, that... We did that. I don't even who who you know. We just wrote the first thing that came into our heads. Honestly, there was no thought about that at all. And then it ends up. It's even quoted in um, Stephen Pinker's book, <laughs> the um, Better Angels of Our Mercy. He describes someone holding protesting somewhere with those. Yeah. I don't think he knew the show, obviously, but he mentions people protesting with signs saying that. Yeah, no, you still see it, don't you? Like, like you know, you, you see like Extinction Re- Rebellion, all these kind of guys, and there's there's still people with yeah. these placards. It must give you a little chuckle when you see it, when you see them. It's bizarre, yeah, but mainly because we, we took absolutely no time to think of those at all. That's the thing, isn't it? Such a, it was such a, I suppose it was such a throwaway thing at the time. Yeah. And the, the fact that people are still talking about it, you know, 25, 25 years later. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, Steve... <laughs> You don't expect it to turn up in one of Stephen Pinker's books. <laughs> but, you know, it's all good. Oh, uh, yeah. No, but there's, there's so many things, like, even, like, Dougal, you know, when, when Dougal got drunk when uh, Father Stack came to came to stay, what was it? Oh, we're all going to heaven, lads. Whee! Yeah. Oh. Well, that was, that was Brendan Grace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was incredible. He was incredible. He was incredible because he, he was very professional and he just decided to do it that way. It wasn't really written that way, but he decided counterintuitively or something to play it in that kind of more passive-aggressive way. But he was interesting because he turned up. He's very professional. He's his own driver. <laughs> he was a big star, you know. <laughs> turned up, did it. You know, I don't remember him socializing much or anything and uh yeah that was one of one one of the memorable ones yeah yeah definitely. i mean did a lot of the, did any of the characters have their own kind of did they have any leeway with their characters like pat short all that kind of stuff i'm assuming that kind of pat short bought a bit of his own kind of yeah but with daniel and you know what pat does yeah and john kenny obviously as well yeah you know what they do so they're they're gonna do what they do and that's why you bring them in in the first place because you know what they're what they're gonna do I mean you know how much how much direction direction do you give them you say right you know give them this I shot JR t-shirt and you know and off you go I don't remember I mean I uh well I didn't direct it <laughs> well no but do you know what I mean when you're kind of yeah I don't know we just I suppose you just think he's gonna do Pat Short 
and he might, you know, exaggerate things. And he just, you know, he just knew what he was, you know, people are, you know, they've got good instincts. Mm. And it's rare you'd have to tell someone. Uh, you'd have to say maybe that's, I mean, even Father Ted, the direction was never, ever to make it bigger. It was always, you know, bring it down a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, no, I mean, Song for Europe episode it gets every every time eurovision is on it gets it gets it gets a re a re-airing and people talk about you know neil keeps get, getting approached to do yeah. <laughs> an entry for eurovision yeah exactly yeah um but i mean yeah, yeah john kenny and that was just inspired you know he was uh, how he was swapping between these this mm. really polished presenter and then he'd go off and you know mm. you couldn't well, understand that was i think that i think yeah no it was uh, that was meant to be Steve Coogan doing that. Really? Wow. Well, it was. It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't quite that simple. It was something like I remember Coogan talking to us about this uncle he had, or I think yeah. it was an uncle in May or something, who or someone like that who he knew, who spoke a bit like that. You know, right? <laughs> completely incomprehensible. So he thought it'd be a good idea for him off stage or off mic, he'd be like that. But once he goes in front of the mic, he'd be completely articulate. So that was the character. And I think we kind of thought Steve Coogan was going to do that. Um, wow, that would have been a totally different episode, wouldn't it? Yeah, but f- I mean, it would have been interesting for Coogan doing that. But I mean, he has Irish connections. Mm. Um, but anyway, he didn't, for whatever reason. And John did it because he, he'd already been in the show. Anyway, you know what you're going to get with John and Pat. You know what I mean? They're not going to, you're not going to have to direct them too much. And they're not going to surprise you of what they're going to do, you know, which is what you want in that case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Flight into Terror was just basically like who's who of comedy talent sitting on the plane. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was yeah. just Pauline. Pauline plays a nun in that. <laughs> not many people spot her, but she's actually playing a nun in that in the back. I mean, that's quite good because it's just set in a, in one place. You yeah, know. Oh, it must have been so easy to film. Do you know what I mean? You're literally in the once you once you get the aircraft, yes, it is. But um, uh, yeah, it was good. It's self-contained. Yeah, I think there's yeah. an episode of um, one foot in the grave where it's just set in the traffic jam. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, no, something so inspired as like Dougal not pressing a button. Yeah, like, yeah. Literally, <laughs> literally, <laughs> yeah. Dougal, don't press that button. Yeah. Just absolutely inspired, you know. As much. I said, greatest sitcom of all time. High praise indeed. Take that, take that compliment. <laughs> Literally can't do any better than that. Well, thank you so, so much for chatting with me today, Arthur. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been great, yeah. It gets me, I'd say it's, it gets me out of the house, but I haven't actually left the house. <laughs> I actually have, because I'm in a small shed adjacent to the house. 